Yes, the story that uh, Laurie has mentioned already is in 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 to 15 or 16. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first... Make a small cake of bread for me that what you have and bring it to me and then make yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You're going upstairs, are you? <laughs> right. That's kind of a good introduction to what I was going to say today, isn't it? But um, do any of you have children? Uh, or indeed were children, who demand something. <laughs> Daddy, I want a... Daddy, I want a... Please, please, please. Um, some children can be extremely demanding, can't they? Uh, in fact, when my younger daughter got married, I warned her husband-to-be that uh, in some ways she was a little bit like, uh, like Shrek's donkey. <laughs> oh Shrek, please, please Shrek, please Shrek, please. Yeah, going on and on. We've had our granddaughter to stay this week and uh, 24 hours, lovely, but tiring, very, very demanding. And do you know that the people of Israel, and indeed us, are just the same? Because somewhere around the time that Ruth uh, was around, that Matt's been uh, teaching us all about, the people of Israel started to say, we want a king. 
We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. We want a king. We, they were banging on the table and they kept on and on and on. And finally, they were given a king. God said, okay, you want a king? You can have a king. I thought I was good enough. Actually, I'm your king. But if you want a king, then you can. And so, um, uh, perhaps you could put the PowerPoint on, on now, Steve, and uh, see how this goes. Um, we, we've been in the period of the judges when we've been thinking about the story of Ruth, and uh, where there wasn't a king. And uh, eventually, the prophet Samuel, towards the end of that period, uh, allows them to have a king. In fact, he chooses a man called Saul. So let's see what happens. Oh, yes, here we go, Ruth. Uh, Boaz, Obed, the, that's the story we've been just been looking at with Matt. The first king of Israel was called Saul. And, um, you know, sometimes if you demand what you want, you think you know what you want, but actually what you want isn't really good for you. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what happened, because Saul, without going into any of the details, was a disaster. He disobeyed God. He even started turning to uh, spirits to, to try to... Uh, find the way forward, and uh, he, he was a disaster. Uh, but at the same time, Ruth gives birth to Obed, and Obed gives birth to Jesse, and Jesse gives birth to a man called David. And so when Saul's reign is coming to a disastrous end, uh, God appoints, or well, Samuel appoints David, uh, appointed to by God, and David becomes a good king of Israel. And throughout the Bible, the, the, the ideal king is always portrayed as being like David. But of course, David wasn't ideal. Uh, he wasn't perfect. And, and we know David had uh, one major flaw, apart from others. Uh, but he, uh, he wasn't perfect. But he was the kind of king that united Israel. So all of the tribes of Israel were together under this good king, King David. So we had a period of a united kingdom. Then uh, King David has a son called Solomon, and Solomon is famed as being the wisest man in the world. He asked for that gift of wisdom, and, and, and surely he had lots of wisdom, although I always question why a man with all that wisdom would want to marry 700 wives and have a 300 concubines to boot. Well, you've heard this one, haven't you? He's the only man in history you could look at his wife in the morning and say, darling, you were truly one in a thousand. <laughs> um, how did you remember their names? Good grief. Anyway, but it wasn't just the fact that he married lots of women. He also married foreign women who brought in their ideas from their own gods. And although Solomon was the wisest king, at the end of his reign, sadly, his two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, um, disobeyed God and they split so that uh, Rehoboam became the king of Judah, and Jeroboam became the king of Israel, the northern tribes. And uh, all those kings succeeded from them, and we're going to go down until we come to the one that you've heard of this morning already, Ahab. And so the, the, the kind of legacy that Solomon left was a divided kingdom. The tribes didn't have anything to do with each other. The northern tribes and the southern tribes just did their own thing, had their own kings. 
And if you read through the book of Kings, you will see that the common narrative is this. He did more evil in the sight of the Lord than the previous ones. And as you go down that list from Jeroboam uh, through those names, some of them you won't have heard of, uh, down to Ahab, they, they all did more evil. In fact, uh, it says in 1 Kings 16, the chapter before uh, Robin read, uh, Ahab did more to anger the Lord than all of the kings of Israel before him. Wow, what a thing to put on your epitaph. Did more to anger the Lord than everybody. And of course, one of the worst things that he did, again, it's about marrying the right person, which I'm glad I did. <laughs> One is enough. I don't need a thousand. Um, he married a woman called Jezebel. And uh, Jezebel was a very forceful character. Uh, her father was Ethbal, who was the priest king of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, and um, basically, he was a priest of Baal. And Jezebel is following her father and wanting to insist that in the northern kingdom that they worship Baal instead of God. And so that's the context. I wanted to introduce that. There's a lot of history all in a, a short time there. Uh, that's how we got to Ahab. And it's in this context that along comes... Elijah, right. So the prophet Elijah um, comes into that context of this most evil king who wants to bring in the worship of a foreign god influenced by his evil wife, um, Jezebel. And in this opening chapter, opening verse of uh, chapter 17 of, of um, 1 Kings 17, uh, Ahab uh, is confronted by Elijah and Elijah says this, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years in Israel, except at my word. Now, why did he say that? Well, the reason he said that was because Baal, this particular god that uh, Jezebel worshipped, his full name was Baal Mekart, who was a god who particularly was a god of weather and seasons and particularly rain. So this god Baal, uh, Mekart, was a god of rain. And, uh, but of course we know, because we've read the book, that actually uh, there is no God called Be Baal Mekart who's a God of rain. In fact, when anybody uh, asks me uh, to pray for the weather, I always point out that I am servant, but not management. Yeah? Um, I mean, even our God, is, he is in charge of the weather, but he can't, we can't guarantee that we won't have rain uh, for our party, can we? Um, but God is sovereign over all the elements as we've been looking. Um, so this Baal, Mekart, is the god of weather and rain. Elijah's name means, my god is Yahweh. Isn't that great? <laughs> what a name. <laughs> my name is Elijah, my god is Yahweh. It's obvious when you meet Elijah who he is and what he stands for. And so the first thing in this passage is about Elijah confronting and challenging evil. Now, we haven't got to look too far in our world to realize that there's a lot of evil that needs challenging and confronting. Um, in fact, uh, John F. Kennedy said in his speech in 1961, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
he was uh, wrongly attributed that uh, to Edmund Burke. But I found out this morning from the Independent uh, that uh, correctly, John Stuart Mill first said those words in 1867. But Kennedy quoted them. So if evil is there and good men don't do anything about it, evil just triumphs. So if we find evil, then we need, maybe, it might be us. I mean, people like William Wilberforce, of course, spotted the evil of slavery. And he, through his Christian conscience, challenged slavery and eventually, just before his death, uh, the abolition bill came in. But he would found, as Elijah found, that actually if you challenge and confront evil, you open yourself up to personal danger. It's kind of not a cushy ride. So, you know, people who say become a Christian and your life becomes all comfortable and happy and peaceful, um, it's nonsense. Because if you are representing Yahweh, the God of truth, in a world which loves lives and injustice, there will be come times when you will come into conflict with the evil. And so the second thing about, first is about confronting and challenging evil. The second thing is that we are called to trust God. And as we think it in the Psalm to protect us, to provide for us, even if we come into confrontation. Uh, David alluded in his, his prayers to a situation um, in, in Belarus. And um, there's a young man, a young journalist called Roman Protasevich who has dared to challenge his government, uh, a dictator, dictatorial communist government that's been in charge for 27 years. And, and we heard that shocking story of, of how that plane was diverted on its way uh, to, to uh, where, where was, it, was it going to? Vilnius, that's right, yeah. yeah. So this is actually, Ruta oh, has gone, but I mean, Belarus, of course, borders onto Latvia, where, where Ruta is, is, is from. Hello, Ruta. Yeah, so we were just saying, Belarus is one of the neighboring countries to your country, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. So it's really close, close to you. Um, and, and this young man and his girlfriend uh, were forcibly uh, detained uh, by diverting an aeroplane, which is sort of almost un, unheard of. We must pray for him because his life will be in severe danger. I mean, we can't even imagine what fear he must be facing at the moment. But it, it emphasizes that if we confront evil, we are likely to be in danger um, because evil doesn't like being confronted. And that was what happened to Elijah. And so God said to him, having confronted Ahab with this, uh, uh, this uh, statement that there'll be no more rain, he's not going to like you. And so go to the Kerith ravine, and there you will drink from the brook, and the ravens will bring you bread and meat. Isn't that wonderful? How God provided through the creation. Actually, the, the ravens that normally would be fighting each other to get the food for themselves, in this case, because under God's sovereign power, they have been uh, used to bring food for Elijah during this, this time. Um, it shows that God is sovereign over all of creation and uh, even uses wild birds and wild animals. Now, I'd like to show you a picture now, and um, there it is. This is a picture of, of a raven, 
and uh, here's the card, the, the actual same card. Um, this, this card was written to me uh, by a lady called Olive, Olive Mitchell, and she was a member at uh, Kilmington Baptist Church uh, when we were there back in the 1990s and early 2020s. Um, and um, in 2003, I had a sabbatical. I spent three months uh, doing some work, particularly looking at environmental issues, that, that how Christians we should be responding. And um, Olive, wrote, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. She'd been brought up in a very strict kind of brethren church. Um, and she was very artistic, but she'd always been told that art has no value, that actually only the word is important. So this lady had these incredible gifts uh, of painting, uh, was told that it was of no value. And yet she wrote me this card and uh, she sent it to me uh, saying, to Laurie and Karen from Olive with Love, we'll be thinking of you and praying for you both during my sabbatical. This is what she wrote in this letter. She's, she's gone to be with the Lord uh, now. So it's just lovely to have, have this. She said, dear Laurie, I was thinking about you going away on your own and I was reminded of Elijah who had that tremendous experience of being fed by ravens in a solitary place. I know that you won't have or need that experience, but I pray that you will find spiritual refreshment in the quiet place and the Lord's tender touch upon your heart. Come back to us refreshed and renewed for whatever lies ahead. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that is to come. With my love, Olive. And at the bottom, in typical olive fashion, she's written, P.S., don't let Kate see my effort at painting a raven. That is that's just wonderful. So it still stays on my shelf today. And do you know, that is prophetic, isn't it? That is prophetic art. And if anyone tells you that any of your particular gifts are not able to be used by God, it's poppycock. Whatever your gifts are, however small or however, uh, as Matt was saying the other day, if they say that's a secular gift, there's no such thing as a secular gift. All good things are sent by heaven, by, by our Father in heaven above. Then you must use it. And, uh, you know, Olive was particularly prophetic because this was written in 2003. When we came back of our sabbatical in 2003, and the next two years were the most challenging two years of my ministry. And we had a really serious problem in the church. It started actually with the floorboards all collapsing. But actually there was a deeper rot that was going on and it led to the most difficult two years of our lives. And then in 2006, uh, we were called to Totterdown Baptist Church in Bristol. Do you know, anyone know where the manse is in Totterdown? It is in Ravenhill Avenue. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, not on more than one occasion, we saw ravens and heard the ravens pronking as they flew over Ravenhill Avenue. And I was thinking about this prophetic, this prophetic gift of olive. So there we go. Be prophetic um, uh, as God leads you. So anyway, God provides for Elijah bread and meat and water. Unfortunately, when God provides, he doesn't necessarily provide in the same way forever. Elijah has predicted no rain, and no rain means no water in the brook. Uh, and so the prophet himself is affected by this drought and this famine. And so the brook dries up in verse 7, 
and uh, God has to give Elijah another instruction. And so he says, go to Zarephath. And that's a weird place to go because Zarephath is in Sidon. Uh, it's not in Israel at all. It's in, the, it's in the devil's country, if you like. It's in the country that Jezebel has come from. Uh, and so you'd think it would be a very dangerous place to go, but he's told to go and a widow there will supply you with food. So when he meets this widow, um, he asks her for a drink, first of all, but as she's going, she's okay to get him a drink. He says, oh, by the way, can I have some bread? She doesn't have any bread. Now, if, if anyone came to your house and said, can I have some bread? It's almost certain that you'd be able to provide them something. But actually, no, she had nothing because she literally had only a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. And you know, it's a very effective, it's a very sort of well-known story, isn't it, of this uh, widow who obeys God by doing what Elijah asks. You'd think, first of all, let look after myself. But no, she says, first of all, she looks after Elijah. And then God looks after her as well. Yeah? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. It's a great principle, isn't it? Um, so it, it's always been that principle of giving. If, if I say I'll give what I'm, I can afford to give, and see what's left. Uh, you know, the, but actually, if you say, if I give what I'm meant to give, and of course, uh, if we read our Bible, then our giving is supposed to be, the basic giving is meant to be 10%, isn't it? If we give our basic giving, there will be enough left for us. Interesting. There's a bit of a, for the treasurer, tick, tick box here. Uh, actually, if we, yeah, if we give first, God will provide for us. And we've always found that principle to work in our life, even when we've made big cuts, sacrifices by, by changing tack. So that's the rule. And this widow, uh, this widow goes along with that. And the story is she not only provides for Elijah, but she continues to have food for herself and her son until it eventually, until it rains. Give us this day our daily bread is part of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? And that's it. the daily bit is important um, because we need bread each day. It's all very well God provided for us last week, but what about today? And what about next week? But the daily bread, the daily provision is a manna principle. Like in the desert, the manna was there every day, apart from Sunday, Sabbath, sorry, apart from the Sabbath. But the story continues. The widow's son dies. So, so far God has provided through creation, he is provided for Elijah through humans, this widow. But the third way that God provides is supernatural, which doesn't happen that often to most of us, I guess, but sometimes it does. The story continues, the widow's son dies. And the widow is rightly quite uh, angry about this because she's trusted this man of God, he's provided for him, for her and she's provided for him but now her son has died and of course we're not going to go to that story today but, but Elijah prays and asks God to raise this boy and the boy comes back to life but you know this is all part of Elijah's spiritual growth in the first story 
in the ravine, he has to listen and receive. He's quite passive. He just does what God says and he goes and he waits and he eats and he drinks and he listens and he waits. The second story, uh, when he has to go actively, he has to be actively ready to go and uh, serve God and he goes to the widow. He responds to the need of the widow and uh, God uses him. And now in the third story, he, meets, he reaches his active role where uh, God actually listens to him because Elijah asks God, pleads with God to raise this son and God actually does what Elijah asks him. There's a growth in spirituality, but you know, his greatest challenge is yet to come. And at the end of this chapter, uh, the widow says, now I know that the word of the Lord that you speak is true, the God of Israel. Don't forget, this is the widow who's in Sidon. So she doesn't believe in the God of Israel, but now she knows that the God of Israel is the true God. But Elijah's greatest challenge comes in the next chapter, chapter 18. Probably the most famous story of Elijah, Elijah on Mount Carmel, when there is a head-to-head -head confrontation between one man, Elijah, whose name means my God is Yahweh, and 400 prophets of Baal. And, you know, they do all their stuff on the top there to try to prove this, their God is the sacrifice, but nothing works. And, and Elijah gets his sacrifice on the top and he pours water all over it and he digs a trench around it and he makes it almost impossible that it will catch fire. And then God brings down fire from heaven and proves beyond doubt that Yahweh is king. Brilliant. Have you had that experience? Well, that's a bit dramatic, that one, isn't it? But I bet you've had the experience in the next chapter, in chapter 19, when Elijah crawls away to the desert exhausted and depressed. It's all part of our spiritual journey. And for many people, a big part of their journey. And actually, God provides for Elijah with bread and water in the desert. He provides for him with sleep to restore his soul. He provides for him with exercise to then go off uh, uh, through the desert to the next thing. And then finally, he provides spiritual encouragement by that still small voice that speaks to him. And he gives him the wisdom to delegate to Elisha. And Elisha is waiting in the wings, ready to take over from Elijah. Uh, and he says, you can't do it all on your own. You've got to delegate. You've got to pass this God understands his needs, he restores his soul, and sets him up for the next challenge. So what's this about? It's about listening and receiving from God. It's about obeying God, whatever God tells you to do, whether it be something small, like paint a card and send it to somebody with a very encouraging message. Even if you can't paint, you can go and buy a card uh, or make a card. I mean, Glennis, you, you're a card maker, and um, you know you can get one of your cards that you've made, and you can send it to someone with a note. That could be what God wants you to do. But lastly, to trust God daily. We've had to work out what it means to trust God in a new phase in our lives, and, and we're still working that one out. Um, God provides for a while. I could tell you lots of stories of how he's provided for us in the past. 
<laughs> but what's more important is how does he provide for us today and tomorrow? But will he, will he provide tomorrow? Yes, he will. He's the same God. He's Jehovah Jireh. Well, I think we should just pause for a while and, uh, and be quiet as we reflect on God's word to us today. Reflect on the raven, who is, uh, for those of you on the internet, if you didn't, if you didn't see the card live, there, there we are, here it is. Um, maybe how is God, what is God saying to you at the moment? What is he calling you to do for him that requires you to be obedient? And uh, in what ways are you going to have to trust him for your future?